0: Welcome back to Bible Time, Colossians 2.13. Colossians 2.13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Father, in Jesus' name, please quicken our minds today to understand this truth. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, and for Christ's sake, please illuminate your word Please quicken this, your servant, Lord, and help him just to speak your word with clarity. And Lord God, not to get off on all kinds of tangents, Father, but to just hold the line and preach the word. Help us today in Jesus' name. Help us understand in Jesus' name. Amen. So here Paul again in Colossians 2 speaking by the mouth of God says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have he quickened together with them, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which is contrary, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over the minute. Let no man therefore judge you, he says, and we'll go on and study that another time. He gives specifics on what he's talking about there. Now the lesson today is going to be called The Walking Dead or Dead Men Walking. There's a big trend in our culture, we've got a lot of um, stuff people put out about dead people coming back to life, especially around Halloween, people put out a bunch of scary stories and stuff like that, there's TV shows, there's bumper stickers, there's car decals, there's all kinds of advertising that has to do with walking dead and scary stories about it, and for some reason our culture has kind of gotten ate up with this concept and this idea and the general idea that people have behind these stories is that some virus hits, some scary sickness hits, and it eats out the mind of people, and yet they're still alive, but they act like animals. That's the basic gist of all of those stories, if you just put it in a nutshell. They have different twists and turns in their plots, but that's the basic gist of it. And that's the fear of it. It's usually accompanied with violence, violence, Murder, deceit, adultery, fornication, all kinds of wickedness, all kinds of filthy things happening um, in these shows and in these stories about dead men walking. Now Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You would be making a huge mistake to apply this verse to yourself as a lost man. The context is clear that here the word of God through the Apostle Paul is to the church at Colossae, to those who are saved, to those who are in Christ. Let's look real quickly at Colossians 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. So this excludes the halfway church people. This excludes the wicked people who say they're saved, but they live like hell. This excludes the people that say that they believe God over in the synagogue, but are not part of the church at Colossae. This excludes all but the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ. This letter is addressed to the saints and to the faithful brother, brethren in Christ. And he says to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, and you, being, past tense, dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having, having past tense, forgiven you all trespasses. Now, this condition that the church at Colossae is in, this wonderful condition of now being quickened and forgiven, can be yours. You can be part of this. This can apply to you if you turn to God in faith, repent of your sins, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone, plus nothing, minus nothing for salvation. Now here he gives us this concept that they were dead in their sins. They were dead men walking. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.14. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. The Bible says here, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That's pretty simple. If one died for all, then we're all dead. Jesus Christ died for all men, and here the Word of God puts that forth as clear evidence that if Christ had to die, it was because that we were dead. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 also addressed the church, also addressed to saved people. Um, Ephesians 1 says to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, again, excluding all other groups. In his discussion, whenever he speaks of the blessings, whenever he says you, whenever he directly addresses the group in his letter, then these blessings that he addresses them with are to those who are the saints, which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ. And these letters, by the way, to these churches, we know from the Scripture, and Colossians also actually touches on it. We may get to that, Lord willing, at the end of of Colossians where Paul has tells them to read the letter from Laodicea and tells them to also have Laodicea read the letter from Colossae, that it is God's will and God's purpose for these letters to the church to apply not just to those local churches, but also to his church at large. The conglomerate of local churches who are saints, Who are the faithful in Christ Jesus? By the way, the Catholic Church makes people saints according to their church, but Christ has his own saints, and anyone who's saved by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ, is a saint. And only those people are saints. And the Catholic Church can do whatever they want. They can make plaques. They can make statues. They can make edicts and issue papal bulls. And none of that's going to really count in God's economy for anything. God makes people saints who repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. Now, here in Ephesians chapter 2, he speaks to the saints and he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is kind of a parallel passage, so we're going to look at it uh, along with the other passage today. He says, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. So here we have dead man walking who were dead in trespasses and sins, but walking after the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He says in Colossians, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now death is not as shallow as most men like to think about six feet under. In fact, at a recent burial, we were informed by the burial crew that most graves today are about four feet deep. Now, of course, that's not what I meant by death being shallow. But with all the vaults and everything that we have today, laws have changed. And the average grave is about four foot deep, four and a half foot deep, five foot at the most. I found that interesting, especially when you figure that the top of the vault is even closer to the top. So it would only be a couple feet above soil. But that's all kind of a rabbit trail. In any case, death is not as shallow as men would like to make it. Six foot under and done. When I, where are you going to be when you die? I ask some people, and they say six foot under. Well, you missed it. You'll be four foot under, but you missed it even further. Death is a much bigger deal than the body just being laid in the ground. To understand death, we need to go to the Bible and get go to the origin of death, where death began, and that is in Genesis. So turn your Bible quickly to Genesis. Go to chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, it says God created the heavens and the earth. Now, a lot of people in our country believe in the beginning. Nothing blew up and became something. So you believe in the beginning nothing. I believe in the beginning God. My faith is in God's word. Your faith is in ignorance. Now, that being said, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And it says here that God said, Let us make man... In our image. That's verse 26. And he says, In our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So here in verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image. Now, your Bible says the Holy Word of God, the King James Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And we're going to hit this real quick. It's not our main part, but we've got to get this to understand what's happening. A lot of people here will turn to the Hebrew to get a deeper understanding. And the Hebrew, where it, where you can get help, it will be where it already lines up with the Bible. A lot of people will point out that here the word God is the word Elohim, which is a plural sense in the Hebrew. And it gives an inference of the Trinity, of God being three in one. Well, that's all well and good. But look here in your English Bible, in the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. It says, and the Spirit of God, capital S, capital G, moved upon the face of the waters. And get this in verse 3. And God said... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The mouth of God, the Word of God, the voice of God, Jesus Christ, is there in verse 3. The Spirit of God is right there in verse 2. God the Father is right there in verse 1. And you have the fullness of the Godhead before the coming of Jesus Christ right there in Genesis 1. 1 and verse 1, 2, and 3. And God saw the light that it was good and it goes down. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him, male and female created he them. And there is even further, all through here, you can find. God Almighty and Jesus Christ who is God in the flesh, you can find him before he became flesh all through this passage. Basically, every time you look at and God said, you are seeing a pre-incarnation reference of Jesus Christ. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he always speaks the Word of his Father. Now, God created man in His own image. God created man as a threefold being, a triune being. God is three in one. 1 John 5, 7 says, And these three bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Check your Bible. Go to 1 John 5, 7 and read it for yourself and see if it says it. Check me out on it. And if your Bible doesn't say it, then you need to ask yourself, Why not? Because the Word of God says in 1 John 5, 7, these three bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, God created man in His image. The Word of God tells us that man is created to be spirit, soul, and body. The Bible says, and the apostles said, I pray God sanctify your whole spirit, soul, and body. And all through the Bible it talks about the heart of man, the soul of man, the body of man, the flesh of man. The soul of man in the Word of God is also three parts. It is mind, it is will, it is emotions. The mind thinks, it is intellectual, it is cognizant, the will chooses. The will decides and any thinking person can quickly see and they know people who, apart from all common sense or intellectual reason, will do things by force of will that no thinking person would ever do. And by the same token, we know that there are people that we have met who will do things and act based upon their emotions in a way that no thinking person would ever do and that no person that is acting by force of will would ever do. They act as a slave to their emotions, and we see that today in our colleges where we have to have safe spaces for a bunch of emotional babies who are people with feelings to such an extent that their feelings rule their bodies, and they don't even have the ability to control their emotions, so they have to have little safe spaces to go and hide their poor little wounded emotions from the rest of the world. So we know and we can see all through the world that man is triune. In fact, we have soul music. Soul music out there. And we want people to move us in our souls. And the soul of man sets him apart from from all the rest of the creation. But beyond that, the spirit of man sets him apart. The spirit of man. You see an animal to a degree has some kind of soul, some kind of thought. It's not the eternal soul like a man has because the eternal soul of man is wedded perfectly to the eternal spirit of a man that is not the spirit of God. And we'll look at that here. The body of man So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created him. Look real quickly at chapter 2, where God takes and gives us the details. He gives us the synopsis in chapter 1. He gives us the close-up view in chapter 2 of creation. And here in verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And that soul of man, the the soul of man created by the Spirit of God, began to move about in the garden in the body that God had given him. So in Genesis one twenty six, God made man. In Genesis 2.15, God commissions man. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree. By the way, we should just say Genesis 2:15 God commands the man and that's going to give a lot of people a fit right there. It's not even a commission, it's a command. God is sovereign. God is king. God is in control. God says what he wants to say, God does what he wants to do, and your job is to obey it. God says jump, you ought to say how high. While you're jumping with all your might, And you ought not wait on it, because God is the Creator. He is God Almighty, and He doesn't have to answer your questions. He doesn't have to tell you why He said to do something. He doesn't have to explain Himself to you. And the fact that you have the Bible, the Word of God, is absolute evidence of His eternal love for you, that He loves you so much that He would condescend to such a level that he being God would explain himself on any level to man. Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall a thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? So here God gave man a command of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely what? Thou shalt surely die. The first time in the Bible that death is brought on the scene. And it's brought here as a warning. And any theological position, any kind of catering to evolutionary religion that tries to say that, God, that we had millions of years of death before God created Adam is a direct affront to the veracity of Scripture. It is a direct attack on the doctrinal foundation of God's word and his honesty. The Bible said that God told Adam, "Thou, The day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now in Genesis 2.16, God made man a help that would be meat for him, and that means a help that would be right, purposeful, useful, that would be everything that he needs, a help that would be meat for him, the woman. Then Genesis three. God gave man a help that was meet to him after he gave the command to man. And man, whether it was his fault or his fault, it doesn't really matter. The result was the same. Man failed to keep God's word. Man failed to believe God's word. And man allowed the devil to challenge the veracity of God's word. When the devil did that, The woman answered, and her answer added to the word of God. She put her own spin on it, Elijah. She put her own spin on the word of God. She said, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. God had not said, when you touch it, you'll die. He said, when you eat it, you die. You say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. It means pretty much the same thing. I can get that from this and this from that. It doesn't need to be word perfect. And you can just go join all the whole group of scholars and theologians that are in bed with Satan himself turning out all these junk Bibles that we have all over the place that have been twisted and perverted. Now, the Bible says here, that the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now he was right, and he was wrong. And that's all Satan needs. Satan doesn't need to be all the way right. He just needs to be partway right. He was partway right because she had added to God's word. So whenever he said, ye shall not surely die, in the sense of the part that the woman added, he was right. But in the sense of the part that God had said, ye shall die, he was wrong. And as soon as you start mixing man's words with God's words, the devil's got you over a barrel. And you've got nothing left. No authority, no foundation, no ability to stand in the Bible. Now, if you're a safe space so-called Christian sucking on popsicles, going through life with your great big sunglasses and your convertible roof pulled down, just drinking up your pop, And having a good time on the beach, walking around in your flip flops, and you don't give a rat's tail end, if people die and go to hell, and you don't care about eternity, and you don't care about the Word of God, then it doesn't really matter whether your Bible is the very Word of God or not. But if God's Word is true, and there's a heaven to gain, and there's a hell to shun, and there's an eternal lake of fire, and there's a devil that's walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, twists God's word. And who has fiery darts. And who attacks you in your soul. And he attacks and twists the scriptures. Then you better get your hands. On the very perfect. Inspired. Infallible word of God. And you better get it in your heart. And you better hold fast. Because it's going to be a war. From day one. To the day you die. If you follow Jesus. Now Here. This triune being Adam, body, soul, and spirit, with his triune being wife, who was also a body, soul, and a spirit, doubted the word of God. They disobeyed God's word. They believed the old serpent. God, help me and give me strength. And they ate of the tree. They didn't trust God's word. They needed something more. They needed something more. The first theologian in the Bible was Satan. The first Bible scholar, the first one to take and expound scripture in the Bible was Satan. You can know the Bible cover to cover. If you don't know God, you can go straight to hell with a Bible in your hand. You need to know God. We've got to keep moving. Lord, help me. In Weakness. Let your strength be made known. So the question is Did Adam die? Look here. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God. Wait. Get this, follow close. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking. How do you hear a voice walking? You hear his footsteps. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And here you have a pre-incarnate, a pre-incarnate before Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, yet he had the appearance of, of a man and we find him all through the Bible all through the Old Testament here they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him where art thou and he said I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this. Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now everything, everything in our world has a physical appearance and a spiritual significance. Everything. And here God is not only cursing the physical appearance, the snake that Satan was speaking through, the snake that Satan had evidently indwelt, as far as we can tell, in order to do this act. But he was also cursing Satan himself. And he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, It shall bruise thy head. Wait, what shall bruise the servant's head? The seed of the woman. Now the woman has no seed, and you don't even have to be a biology major to figure that one out. But the seed of the woman shall bruise thy head. This is the virgin birth being prophesied of in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And here's the Deliverer, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God, being prophesied of in His sufferings upon the cross. Unto the woman He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrows thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam He said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art. And unto dust thou shalt, dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Now those coats of skin came from the first creatures to die. You can't get skin off of animals without killing them. And the first animals died there. In the context of Scripture, it is very apparent that they were likely sheep or goats. They were a clean animal that God used as a sacrifice. And here is where God gave Adam the pattern of sacrificing that would then be carried forward. We'll find Abel making sacrifices of the lamb. Abel will be sacrificing a lamb in the next chapter or two. Forget if it's the next one or two. It's in chapter four. Abel will be sacrificing a lamb. Cain will break with God's pattern and sacrifice the works of his own hands as fruits. So here we have so much significance, so much teaching, and we do not have time to go into this in enough in nearly the detail that it deserves. Studied out for yourself. Here, Adam sinned, did he die? God said, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now there's two parts to this. Number one, Adam died spiritually in that day. Now, if you take that as the total answer, it's a complete cop-out. But to God, who is a spirit, according to Jesus Christ in the book of John, God is a spirit, John chapter 4. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Adam, as a spirit man, he had a spirit and he died. His spirit died. The part of Adam that could commune with God. The part of Adam that could speak to God. The part of Adam that could understand God. The part of Adam that was the most God-like died in that day. And therefore, Adam. The eternal living, never dying Adam, not eternal present in the eternity past, but eternal going future, died that day. Adam's soul became bound in sin and became dead in trespasses and sin. And Adam's body, which would have died that day, found a substitute in a creature. And instead of Adam dying, God allowed the body of Adam to live and he allowed an animal to die, which can never take away sins, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, but that pointed to the seed of the woman, the deliverer, who would die on the cross for Adam's sin and give him eternal life. So through mercy and grace and a substitute sacrifice, Adam was allowed to physically live to give him a space of grace, a space of mercy, time to repent of his sins and believe on the promised Messiah so that God could spare his his soul from eternal hell. But in that day, his spirit died and his spirit is the greatest part of Adam. Now, we go to Romans 5. Quickly, we've got to keep moving. God, help us today. Help me not get bogged down. Slow down, Lord. Unless you want me to. Romans five twelve. Romans five twelve. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. There's two parts to this. Death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned death passed into the world by Adam. How many of you have figured out a dead dog can't have puppies? It doesn't work. Adam, now, body, soul, and dead spirit, could only pass on a soul and a a flesh. And in the sense... He couldn't even pass on the soul. God's got to do it. But there is a sense that he can. And that the Bible teaches that the sins of the father are visited under the children under the third and fourth generation. We know that the hereditary sins of a father will have a direct effect on the children. Even young people who are born to a man who's given to drink and have never met their father and haven't known him. He left after he conceived them. Historically have a propensity to alcoholism, to drinking and drunkenness beyond that of the average person that passes on in the soul somehow. It's a mystery. God understands it. I don't know much about it. And if you want to go to all the psychologists and all that and try and figure it out, you're going into a pit of vipers and a whole bunch of that philosophy and vain deceit and rudiments of this world and traditions of men, and it's going to spoil you. Stay out of that rot. It's a bunch of garbage. They don't know nothing They're just dead men walking too and they're trying to explain the world in a soulish sense with no concept of the Spirit of God and no enlightenment from God. Stay out of that stuff. They don't know nothing as the hillbilly says. I'd rather have the opinion of an old hillbilly sitting on the top of his hill than a psychologist in a tower in New York City. Now, You can get so smart you become stupid, by the way. The Bible says that. Professing themselves to become wise, they became as fools. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Hallelujah. All right, moving quickly. God help us. So death passed upon all men. There's two parts to this. And you can get off in a ditch in this. But Adam sinned and death passed upon all men. And this death that passed on is proven by the fact that all have sinned. Now, Adam sinned, and so some people say that because Adam sinned, God is going to damn everybody to hell because Adam sinned. And that is an extension. That is going beyond what God says in His Word. God's Word says, Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam sinned, and God cursed the world, and death passed upon all men because Adam sinned, and it says, for that all have sinned. So you got a sin nature from your daddy, and I'm sorry for those of you that are sitting here that are mine, and you picked up on that from me. I'm sorry. And I pray, God, he will um, alleviate that curse to the greatest degree possible, and I'm doing my best to help you get past that too. But you got a sin nature. You were born in nature a sinner. Nobody has to teach a kid to lie. Nobody has to teach a kid to steal. Nobody has to teach a kid to disobey. Nobody has to teach a kid to be disrespectful. We come by it, as they say, honestly, hereditarily. It comes through some kind of soulish passing of sins from one to the next. Now, God doesn't damn kids to hell because their daddy sinned. And we're going to look at that real quick with Scripture. But because your daddy sinned and because his daddy sinned and because Adam sinned, you are bent to sinning and you have a sin nature and you sin naturally and you will soon sin willfully if you're you're not sinning willfully yet. And when you sin willfully, you too will be damned to hell apart from the grace and mercy of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that sin nature will result in your damnation. And in that sense, there is an original sin in the sense that there was one original sin because there was one man who sinned. But men are not all damned to hell because Adam sinned. They're damned to hell because they sin. And you'll be damned to hell because you sin unless you turn to Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. It says that even the people that didn't eat of the tree, they also died. That that death and that sin just kept rolling downhill. It just kept passing from generation to generation. It says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. And we'll get into that in a little while. It says, uh, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. It speaks of life reigning through Christ. It says, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now, does that mean that I was forced to be a sinner by Adam? No. It means that death passed on all men and I received a sin nature and I have acted on my sin nature. And because of my acting on my sin nature, I too am a sinner. So I have been made a sinner. But it's my fault. I can't blame Adam for it. Even though it's my nature, I'm still responsible for my own actions. A lot of blaming Adam going on. Have you been perfect? Have you kept God's laws? Uh, A lot of this is a cop-out. A lot of people will take this doctrine and they'll run with it. Oh, we're all just sinners. Bottoms up. Drink it up. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. We're all just sinners. Every man will give account of his own self to God. Now, go to Ephesians 2, and then we'll go to Ezekiel 18 quickly. Ephesians 2, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience. Oh, we all children of God. Oh, no, we ain't all children of God. The Bible says we're the children of disobedience. Look at what else it says. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. By nature. The children of wrath. By nature. It's in you. It's deep in you. That rotten, stinking body of the sins of the flesh is deep-rooted within you. By nature, children of wrath. And what are we fulfilling there in Ephesians 2, 3? The desires of the flesh and of the mind. The old body and the soul in rebellion against God. In rebellion against God, Ezekiel 18. The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Daddy ate a sour grape, and my teeth are on edge. Daddy sinned, and God's judging me. God, they're saying, is unjust. They're accusing God. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine this is god's word as the soul of the father so also the soul of the son is mine the soul that sinneth it shall die the bible says the soul that sinneth it shall die but if a man being just and do that which is but if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right and hath not eaten upon the mountains it's talking about in the high places sacrificing to idols that neither has lifted up his eyes. And check the context. Don't take my word for it, and don't you pretend and lie and say that I'm just making a private interpretation. You read the Bible for yourself. Get the context. The Bible defines the Bible. And if I'm wrong, you show me from Scripture. And if the Scripture truly, contextually, biblically, shows me that I'm wrong, by God's grace, I will change. And hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a minstrel's woman, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge. He goes on and on and on with all these things that he does or doesn't do, the breaking of God's law and the keeping of God's law. He says, if he beget a, if he is just, he shall surely live, saith the Lord. But if this guy in verse 10, if he begat a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and that doeth the like to any one of those things... And that doeth not any of those duties, but hath eaten upon the mountains and defiled his neighbor's wife, hath oppressed the poor and needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given forth upon usury, and hath taken increase. Shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him Now, lo, if he beget a son, and by the way, read the book of the Kings, read the book of the Chronicles, and see how God keeps his word. One man would follow God, and God would bless him, and God would promise him eternal life through the prophets. And the next man, that very man's son, would turn away to idols, and God would condemn him to death. And went back and forth. And this is what God says, the soul that sinneth, he shall die. Look at verse 20, the soul that sinneth it shall die, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, verse 24, and do it according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth shall he live all his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned in them shall he die. Yet ye say the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and dieth in them for his iniquity that he hath done, shall he die again when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive because he considereth And turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God, Repent and turn, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit for why will ye die O house of Israel make you a new heart and a new spirit I'm telling you it's the same gospel from Genesis 1 1 to Revelation 22 to the last verse in the Bible this is the same God the same Jesus and the same gospel and he says listen to this for why will ye die O house of Israel for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves, and live ye. This is the word of God to you today. Turn! Turn! Repent! Turn from your iniquities. Make you a new heart, a new spirit, and live! Galatians 5. Galatians 5:19 5, now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness which is a desiring after sin just look it up idolatry witchcraft Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. That just means lies about Jesus. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Revelation 21, He that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. First John five, five. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth? That Jesus is the son of God. Look at verse 4 above it. For whatsoever is born of God. Overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. And remember, faith is taking God at his word, trusting the veracity of the one speaking. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life.